Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author, Sam Baker. My guest this week was known for her willingness to say it like it is, even before she made a TV show about the menopause. No, not that one. The one before. Broadcaster Mariella Frostrop was banging the menopause drum back in 2018 when her own ignorance about her symptoms at first shocked and then prompted her to do something about it. The resulting documentary, The Truth About Menopause, was a smash hit. And now she's followed that up with a book, Cracking the Menopause, written with her friend, journalist Alice Smelly. If you're a fan of the book of this podcast, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40 and You Can Too, Mariella's book will be right up your street. Fearlessness as you get older, to me, is a much more attractive quality than the ability to, you know, keep looking 28 or whatever age people aspire to look. That fearlessness, I think, is sexy as hell. Mariella and I talk candidly about all things menopause, from menopause ignorance to sleeplessness to the bubble of poison bile that surrounds the whole subject. She also has plenty to say about women being scrap heaped at 50 and why the time has come to stop bloody putting up with it. Okay, I've switched off the volume. I'm so excited. I just got given this new phone case. A friend oh, of mine had two. Cross-body phone. Yeah, yeah, I don't have oh, to carry God. a handbag any longer. I'm now free. You know, I'm free. Totally to go free, anywhere. except for the thing that you're chained to. Yes, the thing, the phone. <laughs> How long after you wake up do you look at it? Well, it depends. My treat to myself at the weekends, which include Fridays slightly, is not to switch it on, you know, until I've gone and done something nice for me, like walk the dog or something. The thing I really resent, actually, is that my internet radio is unreliable. Because my favorite thing is to wake up with the news and, you know, just make sure everything's okay with the world first. Because I'm (laughs) a Cold War baby. (laughs) Yes, well, not so great. (laughs) Um, Because my radio is unreliable, I now have to set the alarm on my phone and I absolutely hate it. And I've been meaning to find the time to find at least a slightly less unpleasant alert. I use my Fitbit to wake me up. Oh, do you? And that's kind of. Isn't that oppressive? No, because it just vibrates on your arm. So it's just like somebody nudging you. But you wear it in bed. Yeah, to monitor my sleep. Come on. <laughs> my heart rate. My husband, I gave him for his birthday a, a watch. It's like the super god watch of fitness fanatics. And um, it monitors your sleep. And I borrowed it for about two nights and it was so shocking. Yeah. Well, I don't seem to have any of that REM. I don't do REM. But, you know what I said? Don't get me started or we'll end up talking for half an hour about. But I am quite obsessed with looking at the different phases of sleep. Oh, I could understand that. Yeah, because I mean, the the thing that menopause robs you of more than anything, and I don't think it's just menopause, it's sort of later life or midlife Mm. into later life, is the capacity to sleep properly. I always wake early, always have. It doesn't matter if I go to bed at five o'clock in the morning, I still wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. That's the latest. But since I've been perimenopausal, then menopause, and now, you know, past menopause, oh, you just never know. You know, last night I went to my stepmother's funeral. I barely drank because it was just all too emotional and exhausting because I'd taken the flight at six in the morning to Dublin. I went to bed and I was in a, a reasonably nice room in a reasonably nice hotel right by the sea with the sea breeze rolling in. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to have a really good sleep. I got into bed at nine o'clock at night, went to sleep at 10. I woke up at 1230. 
wide awake. Why? Oh, no. Is insomnia the main thing? It's the main thing for me, which is interesting only in so far as I never realized it was even a symptom. So I started sleeping particularly badly from about I don't know, 48 or something like that. And coupled with the sleeping badly or as a part of it, anxiety, you know, like mm. waking up in the middle of a really bad dream, right at the worst point when you're just about to have the dagger plunged into your heart, or be <laughs> yeah. pushed off a cliff or, you know, just bad shit <laughs> is happening. You know, how to get the heart rate back down. Those were my symptoms for a couple of years. And it never even occurred to me. I mean, really, it didn't occur to me to go to the doctor even for about a year because I just thought, oh, I'm going through a bad patch. You know, yeah. I must be stressed and I don't know what about. So I'll just push on through. Yeah. And then um, the less you sleep and more anxiety attacks you have at 3 a.m., yeah. the more stressed you get. And then that just. No, it just becomes a more. cycle of dreadfulness, you know, that goes on and on and on. And it was quite shocking to me, really, that I had no clue that those were part and parcel of potential effects of this kind of catastrophic loss of hormones that happens to us all. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a clue either. And I think I was a bit younger than you, I was about 46 and just like felt shit, lost confidence. And it was probably a couple of years before I started having hot flushes. And then I thought, oh, maybe yeah. it's that. That. Exactly. That's the only symptom I was waiting for. So it didn't occur to me for a second that it was anything to do with menopause. And somehow, even though, you know, I mean, if, obviously, if you look it up, it, you'll find stuff that says 50, 51, you know, is the age. There's nowhere really until quite recently, and people have begun to explore it, that explains that it could start happening 10 years beforehand. So if you're feeling these things at 48, then they are very, very likely to be part of, you know, your hormones dropping. And the thing about the hot flush is some people get them appallingly badly. I mean, I, I interviewed women. I don't know how they can manage to struggle through with 50 of them happening a day. And, you know, I mean, just horrendous. I had two in the whole of my perimenopausal period. Oh, you jammy bugger. Yeah, no, I mean, I know it's a result, but not sleeping is, yeah. is not so great. And they say that partly the thing with insomnia is to do with your temperature you know, and mm. not regulating itself. So I might have had temperature regulation issues without knowing it. But I mean, the two hot flushes, they were extraordinary. I've never felt anything like it, thank God, since, you know, it felt like someone had put sort of a blowtorch to the soles of my feet and the heat just rose up through my body and kind of blasted yeah. at the top of my head. Yeah. It was the thought of that happening every time I was faced with a, a stressful situation or a bad night's sleep, you know, just, yeah, two horrendous to even contemplate really yeah you're supposed to just carry on being excellent at life yeah and not complain and, and not really bring it up as well that's very important because you know yeah. if you bring it up it's sort of like saying you know I've got calluses all over my body or you know get a bag over your head now and don't <laughs> inflict us <laughs> so true it's just it's crazy you know I mean we're laughing about it and we should laugh because you have to you have to sort of burst the bubble of poisoned bile that surrounds it. <laughs> but it's so not funny, you know, as well. You know, when I started writing the book, the idea that we had been so maligned through history, it got to the point where it was completely preposterous. You know, Aristotle, great philosopher, obviously, everyone very much respects every syllable he's ever uttered. But he thought that we were just the wrong temperature, basically, just wrong, wrong, wrong temperature. Wrong. Everything about us Everything about wrong. us was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and in particular, our temperature. And the only way to regulate our temperature was to let the blood flow. And oh, so the minute the blood stopped flowing, then we were just like 
absolutely poisoned with terrible things and, you know, obviously separating sores, basically. Back to the sores. Back to the sores. <laughs> that was obviously classical times. Medieval times, Albertus Magnus, he's a, he's a real card, Albertus. Um, <laughs> women are packed with poison, packed with poison. And we can kill children by just staring at them when we get to menopause. We just have to look at them. Drop that dead. whole witch death. thing, isn't it? Yeah, she and just then, looked at them. And then you'd think it would have got better by the 19th century. But by then, you know, any of us with a womb that was no longer doing what it was meant to do was repulsive, insane, and most repulsive of all, driven mad by desire and lust for men. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. Have you felt that at all? Yeah, just wondering. totally, all the time. <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? Because the fact that the whole menopausal experience has been defined by men. The only people who will never have a menopause. Yeah, I mean, did you have that experience when you started talking about it, where people were just like, oh, nobody's interested? Oh, yeah. Okay. Don't talk about that. No one wants to talk about that. First not of the all, 50% you're in, maybe. <laughs> first of all, not interested. That would be anyone under the age of sort of 45, probably. And then slightly repulsed and slightly incredulous, you know, particularly at the beginning, because I was trying to make this documentary about it for the BBC. And um, Charlotte Moore, who's the sort of head of everything now, I think, was sort of like, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I'm going to send you to see Tom, Fred, Jerry, blah. And over the course of about three years, I went to see Tom, Fred, Jerry, etc., and every single one of them sort of sat back in their desks as far as possible away from me as they could lean and went, mm, it's an interesting idea, but not for us, not now. And so I would then bang off another email to Charlotte going, yes, it didn't work out. No, they don't want it. And finally, she sort of said, OK, well, look, we're just going to do this and kind of took control of it. But I think that was my first indication, because other than that, you know, I'd probably really only tried to talk to my friends about it. And lots of them are younger than me. And, and the ones that are older were sort of like, oh. Yeah, I had the same thing. Like my friends, I got nowhere with my friends. I felt like I was quite young. 46, that was young. But even the people who were older than me, the same thing. They were like, no, 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 no. Don't know what you're talking Men about. Men are what? <laughs> <laughs> were you having hot flushes when you were 46? Probably my hot flushes kicked in at 48, but I had loads of, you know, anxiety. And if the hot flushes had kicked in right at the beginning, then I think I would have known what it was sooner yeah, rather than same. I just... Yeah. thought I was kind of falling apart. Yeah. The so trouble like, is that the rest of the world is telling you that you're falling apart just because you're older. So to feel it physically while, you know, that's what's being reflected back at you in the wider culture is really, really hard. You know, I mean, I can't believe it's taken this long. Did you go through a phase where you were like, I shouldn't talk about it. I don't want to admit it because people will think I'm old you know, and therefore over the hill? Or were you always feeling really like, screw this, you know? It's not screw this at all, but I have always been slightly driven by a sort of probably a bad tendency. It's probably not the best career-wise, but if something is regarded as unspeakable or something goes unspoken, then I just like to say it. <laughs> You know, it's like I, to poke that hornet's yeah, nest. Yeah, I like to poke the hornet's nest. And also, you know, frankly, as a woman, there's so many things that are supposedly unspeakable and unsayable. Mm. And I'm tired of it. I'm bored of it. You know, I was quite good until I hit 
30-ish. And then I got reanimated. You know, I was quite angry until I was about 18. And then I just wanted to get a career going and just get a job and get a flat. And then I think when I hit my 30s, the injustice of it all just hit me again with a wham and reanimated me. And I think I've just, even without the menopause, just increased in incredulity and rage <laughs> as the decades have gone by. And, and so now I think there's a sort of protective tendency in it, because if you speak the unspeakable, then the worst that could happen has happened, hasn't it? There's an element of that. So rather than wait for people to disparage me and ridicule me and ignore me and so on, I thought I'd just shout it really loudly and see what echo came back. <laughs> I mean, I had someone on the podcast who afterwards messaged me and said, oh, my God, my manager has gone mad after it came out said he was like what did you do that for why have you gone around talking about menopause and she's like well everybody knows I'm in my 50s you know it's like basic common sense did you have any of that like don't do that because you'll bugger up your career not in terms I mean no one who works with me would I mean my, my agent Polly <laughs> no not that I mean my agent Polly it wouldn't even occur to her to say don't say it but the interesting thing writing the book was how people divided into those who'd speak to you about it and those who wouldn't and how much I kind of feel a debt of gratitude to the women who went bring it on yeah let me give mm. you a quote let me discuss what happened with me. A lot of actresses were really reticent. Actresses that I know quite well and have always presented themselves as incredibly feisty feminists were all like, oh, my schedule's so full. You know, <laughs> and I, look, I understand, you know, you can't make people stand up to discrimination until they want to. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely a stigma attached. I mean, Patsy Kensett was so fantastic. Like, I've always thought yeah. she was great. But my respect and admiration for her quadrupled because she was one of the first people to go, oh, that's brilliant. I can't believe you're writing that. Yeah, talk to me about it. I'll tell you some horror yeah, stories. Yeah, she's really outspoken you know, about it, isn't yeah. she? Really, yeah, and, you know, I don't think it makes her any less attractive, any less funny and brilliant. It just means that she's not afraid. And fearlessness, as you get older, to me, is a much more attractive quality than the ability to, you know, keep looking 28 or whatever age people aspire to look. That fearlessness, I think, is sexy as hell. I think there's that thing, though, isn't there, that it's quite hard not to have um, absorbed in some way the sense that there is value in you youth and the kind of attractiveness that goes with youth. And I think it certainly it took me, I suppose, the years that I was going through perimenopause to reach a point where I felt like, no, you know, I'm in my 50s. I don't look 24. I don't want to look 24. I wasn't happy with how I looked when I was 24. You know, I was actually less happy with how yes. I looked when I was yes. in my 20s. And now I did um, Loose Women earlier today and they posted up this shot of me. I think I was about 22 or 23. This huge at the whole of my screen filled with this picture of me and it was like oh my god you know how did I not see that I was you know attractive it's I the classic Nora Ephron thing isn't it though you spend your whole life thinking you're fat and then you look back and think damn why wasn't I just walking up and down the street in my bikini yeah, I was or naked even yeah. you know just and and I think you know we live in a society where youth is venerated above all else and I think youth is amazing I look at my daughter and her friends and they're so perfect and and I wish that they knew how perfect mm. they were because they're riddled sadly with 
all of the same self-doubt as far as I can see as my generation were. And that really upsets me because I think, have we not moved on from this? But as you say, I think as you get older and particularly once perimenopause hits and you know that it's a sort of staging post, you know, it's a marker and after which nothing's going to be the same. It's not necessarily going to be worse, but it's going to be different. And as you reach that point, you start hopefully to understand that although it's not the same as as the youthful thing and you definitely don't want to spend your time competing with that God, or no. trying to maintain it because it's just exhausting and you won't manage to, you know. I mean, the one thing I am is quite a pragmatist, you know. I don't like to fight losing battles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, to look like I'm 20 would be a losing battle. So I do think that's the hardest thing for a lot of women, though, because they're made to feel that their currency is only youth. We're all made to feel that our currency is in our youth and and our currency is that's the other yeah. thing that's really bad is that our currency in the job market in the relationship market you know in so many of those areas of our lives runs much higher when we're younger and it changes immeasurably as you get older but that has to be part of the accepting thing doesn't it you know yeah i think you get to a point don't you where you think yeah the flip side of having all those things that were meant to be in your favour, even if you did think you had them, whereas I would say I didn't think I did have them. But obviously I did, but I didn't think I did at the time. Mm. The flip side of that is that you're always kind of dancing to the beat of someone else's drum. And I think like when you mentioned fearlessness just now, one of the things that I like most is that I kind of feel like they're not interested in me. But more than that, I'm not interested in them. Yes. And what a freedom that is. You know, that's a true liberation. And, you know, the irony is when I looked my best. I felt my worst. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure I don't look my worst yet. It's only going <laughs> to go great worse. for a but, Friday afternoon. But now I feel my best. Mm. So there is justice, you know, and the world is not big on justice generally in most areas. So I'm taking some degree of delight from that sense. One area that's still not really justice is work, isn't it? Yeah. How did you find people's attitude to you changed in your professional life as you got older? Well, they just sort of lost interest. You know, <laughs> I mean, yes. I could be in the room, but not so anyone would notice. It's very subjective, isn't it? So it's very difficult to talk about because I'm always conscious of not assuming that I know what other people were thinking or what was happening, because part of it is informed by your own insecurity and sense of diminishing value. So I have to be sort of cognizant of that. But at the same time, you know, I'm not an idiot. You know, I noticed when I would walk into a room and no one would look anymore. And that's a funny thing to get used to when you're used to being well-known and okay looking. So you're used to getting some reaction. And so I'm not exaggerating that. So I think at work, I'm not exaggerating when I say that when big jobs would come up, that I always used to be considered for. I might not have got them, didn't get them. You know, I was never the bride, you know, with so many, you know, Desert Islanders, second choice, uh, second choice after Jonathan Ross. Uh, the only one I think I turned down was Saturday Live just because I didn't want to work on Saturdays because I just had my daughter. But, you know, yeah. I was second, second, yeah. second. And then all of a sudden, another 
10 years later or eight years later, the same things would come up and I wasn't anywhere in the running at all. Absolutely didn't get the call. Absolutely not. The job would be vacant and filled and I would know nothing. (laughs) And, and, you know, obviously I don't want to be there blocking the path of young people, but I do think there's something insidiously damaging about the message that says you're okay if you're 42, but if you're 52, really maybe not. And don't push yourself. I mean, I did get told. Why did I keep wanting more? Why aren't you happy with, you know, my program on Radio 4 was a half hour book program, three weeks of every month. So not really full time work. No, not really. Not really. A wonderful job. You know, I loved it, but it wasn't full time work. And yet when I started going, you know, like I've been waiting there for years. Come on. You love it. We've got loads of listeners. Why don't we just crank it up a bit? maybe do it four weeks a month. I don't know. Something <laughs> crazy. And it was like, why do you always want more? There's tons of people who would kill for this job. And you think, well, you want more. You want to be controller of Radio 4. Yeah. But that's okay because you're a man. Yeah, I'm sure that there are people who listen to the shift who think, who are right now thinking, oh, here she goes. Yeah, go on and on. on. She's about to start going on about how it doesn't happen to men. But you know what? It bloody well doesn't. No. It doesn't. All jobs are full of men in their 50s and 60s. You know, they are not full of women in their 50s. And that's just a matter of fact. But can you imagine? I mean, I think it's very simple to highlight because if you imagine a 52, 54-year-old man saying, yeah, you know, that area manager, I'd really like to go for that. You know, I've, I've done all of this stuff and I think area manager is next. Can you imagine someone turning around to him and going, why do you keep wanting more? Why would you want to, you know, be promoted? What's that about? What, what, why aren't you happy with these crumbs? As I say, it's incredibly subjective. It's anecdotal. It doesn't amount to anything. I'm married to a lawyer and I know that in a court of law, <laughs> none of it would stand up. But nevertheless, I don't think I'm a stupid woman and I don't think my experiences have been translated in a particularly, you know, unhelpful way. I think that that's the way it is. And and that's why I'd like to change the way it is. Not necessarily for me, probably not for me, you know, because I'm a 58-year-old woman, but definitely for my daughter. I mean, it can't go on like this. I mean, and the thing is as well, isn't it, that you can't be what you can't see, whether you're, you know, a young working class woman, whether you're a trans woman, whether you're a young black man, whether you're a 55 year old woman and you turn on the TV and there aren't many others. There are more than there were. And there are certainly more 55-year-old white women than there are 55-year-old black women. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Brain fog. Brain fog. But I have the double whammy of brain fog and the possibility, you know, but my mother and my grandmother had and have dementia. And so every time I get brain fog, I think, oh, that's it. That's it. They're going to cart me off any minute now to, you know. Are there kind of like tests you can have? Yes, there are. But until very recently, there's absolutely nothing that they could give you if they found out that you were so it was sort of like why would you want to find out it's the worst case scenario yes you've got dementia no there's nothing we can do just wait for it something to look forward to you know yes (laughs) something to do when you're older and you've got no job anymore but uh yeah now I think there's probably quite good reason to go and and have it checked so I'm I'm building up the courage yeah it's a it's a big thing so is that one of the reasons you went on HRT uh, the reason I went on HRT was because I really fancied a good night's sleep. 
<laughs> and the dwindling of anxiety. And because I talked a lot to um, my gynecologist because I was lucky enough to have a private gynecologist who was, I think, the third person I went to see in order to try and find out what was the matter with me. And she just went, we don't wait for blood tests. We don't take any notice of that stuff. You know, basically, if you tell me your symptoms and I think they sound menopausal, I'm going to recommend you go on HRT. And it just seemed such a sensible, pragmatic approach. She said, mm. there isn't a test yet. Apparently, they might have one where they take hair follicles. They've done it for fertility, obviously, because fertility is much more important. Oh, God, much more. <laughs> much more. But uh, I, I think it'll also be able to tell much more accurately whether you're menopausal or not. But she just sort of went, anxiety, tick, a couple of hot flushes, sleeplessness, you know, mood swings. Yeah, yeah, on HRT. And she talked to me very sensibly about the risks. And she was Irish and, you know, liked a glass of wine herself. <laughs> and she said, do you have any glasses of wine you drink a week? I said, oh, I don't know, you know, five, <laughs> meaning eight or more. Yeah, and, half um, it, half back. <laughs> And she said that is three times as risky as HRT, you know, and it all dates back to that 2002 uh, women's survey. And one of the experts on that survey who spoke to us in the book and said he was absolutely apoplectic when they released it. They released it prematurely. They didn't check it with any of their experts. You know, I mean, I was actually looking at it today. Hundreds yeah. of thousands of women be. have now got osteoporosis. Some have died of heart disease. And all the urinary tract infections that, you know, old women live with, you know. For a survey that reported results of which were completely inaccurate and over-exaggerated, I think there's a case there. It's just horrifying, isn't it? It's like, and I think that the rollout impact of that, not least because most GPs still throw it at you. Oh, yeah. But also, when I spoke to Jess Phillips a couple of episodes ago, she yeah. was saying, if I knew one thing about menopause, it was that I wasn't going to take HRT because of that breast cancer thing. Yes. And I was the same. Well, one of the reasons that we said about the book, Alice and I, was because we were sort of talking about it and toying with the idea. She's a, a health journalist. And then we went to this empowered event at Limewood. And we went there and we, you know, walked into this room full of, I mean, it must be 50, 60 women our age, all, you know, well-educated, you know, in charge of their lives. And they were saying things like, what are the symptoms? And one woman, and this is the bit that really stuck with me, she said, because um, they did a Q&A thing at the end, she said, I haven't given in to HRT yet. Yes. And you thought, why is that? It's like those people who say, I didn't give in to epidural. And you think, well, it's absolutely Waffle, your yeah, right to make yeah. a choice. Absolutely right. But please don't wave it like a banner of pride because it's not giving in, it's choice. And the more choice we have as women, you know, we may be unused to it, but we need to encourage encourage more of it and claim it. But it's like that whole judgment thing that basically surrounds every single thing that a woman does ever. I mean, I definitely went through this thing where I felt like, oh, I'll be selling out. I'll be letting the sisterhood down. You know, I'll be, yeah, being a wimp. Which it's is just crazy. Of life. When you look into it and you discovered that perimenopause is just about a catastrophic decline in your hormones. So, the sensible thing to do, and most women I know are pretty sensible and pretty pragmatic. If you've got a catastrophic loss of something, pump yeah. it up. Why wouldn't you? 
you know, we're living now double the lifespans that women did 100 years ago, not least because, you know, in our privileged part of the world, we don't die in childbirth. So why wouldn't we want to make those years productive and fecund in, in so many other ways aside from making babies? Fecund is such a good word. I love it? that word. I love yeah. it. I always wanted to do something and say, oh, yeah, she's so fecund. But no one ever has yet. <laughs> yeah. No, and I don't want to say this, but probably no one's ever going to. Now. No, not now. So just, you're going to have to say it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not now. In the book, you have you know, several like GP horror stories. And I had so many when I would, the women I was talking to for mine. And, you know, people told it's just part of life. Just get on with it. You know, I had spoke to one woman. Her GP made her an appointment at a menopause clinic on the other side of London. When she got there, that menopause clinic had been closed for a couple of years. And they Stop. just actually made an appointment with another gynecological specialist. specialist, but not one who even specialised in the menopause. She'd just been like pushed across London. Actually, if there's anything to be seriously militant about, I mean, I, I've got a friend who, who went to her GP and he said, um, I don't rate HRT. And you think, well, oh, no, I'm you sorry, don't. I haven't because... sworn yet, but fuck off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, really, really, really just get lost. Fuck off. Um, but I think the thing that's most animating and infuriating is the lottery for women looking for support mm. and help and supplements, whatever it is you want, you know, whether you want HRT or you just want, you know, bolstering up in some other way, you know, depends on where you live. It depends on your income bracket. You know, it can depend on the color of your skin. You know, there's so many completely arbitrary and unrelated and shockingly irrelevant aspects to the sort of treatment that you get. And the fact that it's not even mandatory as a, a subject in its own. A couple of hours one morning, most GPs will have done on menopause. And yet, you know, it significantly impacts on, you know, half the population. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. I, I sort of feel like all of that language around equality and feminism, you know, all that leaning in from Sheryl Sandberg and everything, it's all encouraged in the workplace. But actually, in terms of reclaiming responsibility for our lives and demanding the things that we deserve, I still think we're just not good enough at it, you know. And it's one of the very <laughs> good qualities about getting older is just that you do get the confidence to go, no, I want that. And if you won't yeah. give it to me, then I'm going to go to another doctor who will. And I just wish that there was a magic wand that you could wave over the female population of the nation to make them feel that burst of confidence to go into their GP and just go, I want this. I've read about it. Yeah. I've considered all my symptoms. And if you won't give it to me, then send me to someone who knows about the menopause because I know they will. I think the problem is when you reach that point, it's the point when you, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still on HRT too, but it's the point when you don't really need it anymore but except for yes I mean it's probably I mean, the, the confidence point, point you know? yeah you're probably not going through the worst of the symptoms but to be honest it's the insidious symptoms that are the worst mm. it's things like heart disease it's things like osteoporosis that are the most dangerous things and they're the things you don't even know about until someone takes the time and trouble to go okay I think you've got a big loss of estrogen going on and progesterone and you need to take these things in order to make sure that those things stay healthy because you don't want your bones to be cracky. You know, I've got a really good friend and she was just so patronizing <laughs> when I started mm. banging on about menopause and HRT and everything. She's the same, exactly the same age as me. She said, I haven't had any symptoms. And, you know, honestly, if you just ate better and if you didn't drink ever, you know, she's very Gwyneth. And, uh, you know, I'm, it gives me no pleasure to say, but 
10 years later, she phoned me up a year ago and went, I can't believe it. I've got osteoporosis. And you were like, I can believe it, but I'm not going to say. I can't believe it, but I can't believe your, your doctor never said, you should take HRT. Certainly our generation. I mean, I think maybe millennial and Gen Y women are a bit more outspoken, a bit less likely to put up with shit. But we weren't taught that, well, just go and ask for it. Just go and say what you want. But also, I'm more or less your age, just a couple of years younger. younger. And you look amazing, by the way. Can I just say, because I know no one can see you while you're talking good to lines. me. It, well, oh, no. whatever it is, keep doing it because you look absolutely, your skin looks shiny and healthy and taut and you look amazing. Oh, you can come on anytime. <laughs> but do you know what it is? It's because I can't sunbathe because I'm all freckly. I'm really freckly and it's never stopped me. You tan though, don't you? My tan now is just freckles joining up with each other, basically, oh. all over my body. I mean, my sun damage is immense. No, she's you making see? it up. No, you, you can't. Can. Like, yeah. I used to put olive oil on and go in the sun. I used but to you... get eczema really badly. And so for me, the sun and the sea were what made the eczema it. go away. One of my best friends uh, lived in Greece for about five years. So I used to go and fry there every summer in my <laughs> early 20s. And then my best friend lived in Antigua for about four years in my sort of late 20s, early 30s. And I used to go and fry there every <laughs> Christmas for three weeks. So, you know, there's no hope really for me. I've completely lost my thread now. Oh, I know. We were taught that we had to put up with it, weren't we, at work? So and also like being a woman and the things that made you a woman were things to not be talked about. Yeah. So when I started working with young women and they were all like, oh, yeah, so I've got really bad endometriosis and I have a really bad. So at least one day a month, I'm going to have to work from home. And I'd be like, okay. But but we were taught not to do that, weren't we? Oh, absolutely. I think with shame now that I would make excuses. This is maybe too much information, but I would make excuses to boyfriends and go, oh, I can't see you tonight because it was my period. And I didn't want to have to tell them it was my period. And that was why I didn't want to have sex. And that is just pathetic yeah it's awful you're talking to a woman who worked in an office full of women and used to go to the loo with a tampon shoved up her sleeve yeah yeah always 20 years you know And I couldn't believe, you know, when um, Lillette's finally, I don't know when it was, it must have been about, it was probably 10 years ago now, and I obviously haven't bought them apart from for my daughter. But instead of it being like the branded packet, with, they started doing them in these very pretty looking sort of tubs that were innocuous oh, yeah. and, and not so branded. And that felt like, why didn't you do that, you know, 100 years ago? And then I thought, no, I don't want you to have to disguise what they are. Yeah, you're hiding them. Yeah. Why should I be ashamed? You know, now I'd be thrilled, obviously. <laughs> Bring on a period. Oh, no. Do you miss them? No, not at all. Not at I'm all. bloody delighted no. not to have a period anymore. I, w- I wasn't one of those people who got very bad. I have got girlfriends who just such bad PMT and everything. I never had any of that, but I just it was just annoying. It was a nuisance. Expensive. Back, nuisance. Expensive and more than expensive for half the planet as well. I mean, that's, you know, mm. period poverty is a really serious issue. Yeah. And it was always at the wrong time, your period, wasn't it? Romantic that's, weekend coming that's up. That's the other thing. Going on holiday, guaranteed a period right in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I don't miss that at all. You mentioned in Cracking the Menopause, and I've actually mentioned it in The Shift as well, but there's an amazing book written by a woman called Jane Lewis. It's yeah. called Me and My Menopausal Vagina. Um, I did try to read it on the tube once, only the once. That's um, what a Kindle's for, love. Yes. <laughs> but if you're struggling, it's, it's a, a really great book. amazing book and it will make you feel like you're not alone, shall but we listen say. Listen to us. We're recommending books 
for things yes. that, you know, you should be able to go to the doctor and get help with and know that you'll get help with and know that you'll be met with sympathy. It's yeah, you extraordinary. Should. You should. You really should. I mean, I know there are a lot of people working on it behind the scenes, but really probably that has to change before anything else, doesn't it? I think that um, what really will change things, and I think it already is, is all of that femtech stuff and so many women mm. getting involved in tech and particularly when it comes to women's health because what they've suddenly understood it's not rocket science what a hugely important and influential consuming demographic <laughs> the woman in middle ages we make three quarters of orders i mean car manufacturers how they haven't woken up to the fact that women aren't all buying hatchbacks and that actually <laughs> when it comes to the choice of family car women I think it's something like 82% of the, of the decisions that about cars are made by women. And yet you still go, hey, get yourself a Ferrari and drive it like a man. Yeah. And you think, why are you putting off half of your consumer base at least? You know? And so I think that the increased recognition of the you know, hugely important demographic that we make up and how important we are to the economy will be what will change things. Companies seem to be very, very slow in waking up to how powerful the female pound is. But I think we also have to just not tolerate it anymore. Mm. You know, stop being placid, stop being accepting, stop waiting to be given the space to complain. I mean, the one good thing I would say is that employment law, I think, is really, really changed and, and increased women's power in the workplace. And that, again, to me, is what will create, you know, seismic change in society. You know, if you can't push women around, then they'll just feel more and more liberated to say what they think. You know, Channel 4, I know, you know, it's a small organisation, you know, and it's not going to change the world, but it really does because you see them offering, you know, menopause support and you think, wow. Is that a thing? Is that a thing that businesses starting do? to be? Oh, yes, yeah. it's a thing, you know, and that's yeah. great. Yeah, a friend of mine is the CEO of an ad agency, Dark Horses. She's the only senior woman there, and she's just done a menopause policy. And she put it out and said, actually, I'm going to make this open source. So anybody who is a small company who wants to have a menopause policy is just like, I just can't. I just haven't got the resource. Yeah. Here, have mine. You see, isn't and that amazing? And the response has been incredible. So what I love about that as well is that you know for centuries we've been told that women don't help each other and don't oh. look out for each other you've talked about fearlessness um, and being more confident what are the best things for you about being I suppose postmenopausal is that I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't who know, knows, honestly. You know, my thing with HRT is that, you know, I, I see no reason to stop taking it and there's very compelling reasons to keep taking it. So uh, I don't know if that means that you carry on being menopausal all your life. But anyway, I, I think you just mentioned the two things, really. The two most exciting things, I think, are a sense of fearlessness, almost a sort of sense of recklessness. Fearlessness teetering on recklessness <laughs> and confidence in jobs and things. You know, someone might say, would you do this? And something that you would have thought long and hard about and probably had sleepless nights worrying about, you now sort of go, yeah, sure, I'll give a shot, you know. And those things are so valuable again. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have the confidence to say no more. Oh, yeah. 
Right, now I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask. Oh, God, and I haven't had a chance to think about them, so this is going to no, be... No, that's good, because I hate giving them to people in advance anyway, because they plan and you don't get... I know, but it's quite nice to, because sometimes you just can't remember things. Brain fog, you know. <laughs> What's your emotional age? My age is 38. Whether that's emotional or anything, I look in the mirror and I think... What happened? Yes. How did I end up looking like this at 38? Actually, it's a great question because almost everyone has an age that they instantly think of, don't they? Did you call it mental age in the book? Yeah, but it's, just, it's the age that I think of myself as being. And so yeah. anything other than that age is a continuing surprise. <laughs> It's my favourite question because you get such fascinating answers from people. Um, recommend a book. What book would you push on a friend? And there's a book by Carol Shields. She died of breast cancer, which is an amazing Canadian novelist. She was sadly shortlisted for the booker with this particular book, but she didn't get it because it was seen as a domestic novel. Um <laughs> And and she was really an amazing writer. And this book's called Unless. And it's about this mother whose daughter takes to just sitting on the pavement in their nearby town with the sign saying goodness. And she just can't understand what's going on with her daughter. And at the same time, she's writing this biography of a rather extraordinary woman who survived the Holocaust. And she's really struggling with that because no one will take this woman seriously. And she spends the rest of her time writing really furious letters to newspapers who've gone on and on about all the great big white male authors and failed to mention a single female writer. And all of it is written in this incredibly witty, light prose that initially disguises the fact that she is raging. She is so angry. I mean, Carol Shields, the author. And I read it again about a year ago, and it was twice as brilliant. So I just think for every woman, it's an amazing book to read because it just illustrates how so many of us live with this repressed undercurrent of bubbling rage yeah. <laughs> that actually we should harness and use to our advantage more. You are not actually the first person to recommend that book. So Really? That's Who else recommended it? Annie Mack. Did she? Yes. Good and old she, Annie. She yeah. read it after her mum. Her mum said to her, you must read this. And she just finished it when I interviewed her. And she's like, oh, my God, it's an amazing book. Oh, I'm so glad. Good. That's confirmation. Not that you need it. What advice would you give younger women? Life is long. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I mean, I know it's not very wise or particularly profound, or but I wasted two decades of my life, you know, fretting over bad love choices and how I looked and wasting money on buying endless clothes in order to kind of make myself be one person or another person. In fact, mm. that's the other thing about getting older is knowing what you like to wear. Oh, yeah, and just what wearing a relief, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I know the colours I like. I know I don't buy high shoes anymore. Luckily, my daughter has stopped at a size 38, stopped growing. So she's absolutely beside herself because she inherits the whole shoe collection. Oh, but, excellent. you know, don't buy high heels anymore. Just know what you like. So so really, when I was younger, I just wish I'd known that I could afford to be more confident. Yeah, it's you can't think about it too much, how much time you spent stressing out about... Stuff that really doesn't matter. Stuff. I mean, it really, really doesn't matter. And it's so easy to say it now. And, you know, heartache feels so raw when you're young and you think you're never going to meet anyone again. And, you know, you're 
always going to be the one with the fatter thighs, (laughs) all of those things. You're not. You know, humanity is vast and varied and there's so many possibilities that lie ahead. You know, you just got to understand the magnitude of what's available to you and go for it. What's your superpower? (sighs) I am very good in a catastrophe and appallingly bad with day-to-day aggravations. So I fly off the handle about honestly the stupidest stuff and I get really invested in it and stubborn and combated and then a big thing happens and I go calm and cool and manage and so I don't know if that's a superpower but it's one of the very few things I can think about my personality that I'm grateful for it'll do totally and how many fucks do you give none about anything I mean I do that's not true I care about my children enormously as a late mother maybe even more than I should if you know what I mean because when you wait a long time for something and then you get it it's really quite magnificent so I do care about them but you know the wider world people's impression of me the trolls on social media, all of that. I really couldn't care less. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I so enjoyed talking to you. Please kind of come back again, you know, in a year's time. Maybe by then I will give a fuck. No. No, don't. That, that's the that's one of the many great things about being an old bird. I think it's like love being an old bird, and I very much enjoyed talking to you. Well, it was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40, and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time. Hold up. 